Sean is going to share with us. Some of you, again, are familiar with Sean Futch. Uh, he and Angie have uh, been, we've been able to be connected with them over the course of years, I think before you had kids even. But, uh, almost, yeah, it's uh, been a long time uh, at any rate. And I have always appreciated uh, Sean's uh, reverence for God and his reverence for God's word. I think you will uh, be blessed as he shares uh, his heart and the things God is doing in him uh, and uh, as he opens up uh, the word to us. So, Sean, uh, come on up, buddy. Uh, Angie is here. She's downstairs with the kids. So after service, if you want to talk to Angie, uh, please do so. She doesn't always get to travel with me. But now that we're actually, for this season in Fort Wayne, she's area, down in Bluffton, she's uh, close enough to come. Um, thank you so much for your support for our ministry over many years. And I'm not going to give a ministry update here uh, in this service because I did it in Sunday school. But if you have any questions about our ministry and you weren't able to be in Sunday school, uh, please see me after the service. Uh, we have been serving with World Partners for more than 20 years in Southeast Asia. And because of Angie's uh, blood disorder that she has. We're in the States for a season now, and I'm going back and forth to Asia every three months for about three weeks at a time to different countries that I work in uh, to help continue the discipleship movements that we've gotten started there. Uh, when I say we, I mean God through his network, not me, and uh, to see to, to keep that going and in between lots of Zoom calls and lots of other kinds of social media calls. We are in a season of life where things are uncertain, like even in Angie's health journey, it's been going on for a long time now. They got her on some medicine that was keeping her hemoglobin up, and then the medicine just a few weeks ago started attacking her kidneys, so they had to take her off of the medicine, so now she's not on it, and tomorrow we see what happened. So if her hemoglobin drops again, like it was before, then we have to find another treatment. So it's kind of a, a uncertain, unstable time, and maybe you're facing that kind of situation in your life as well. Uh, actually, the whole world after COVID, and I say after COVID, it's not really over, but it's over in the sense that restrictions are over. You can travel around the world again now, and even in China. And so in some ways, the world seems back to normal. But there are still a lot of lingering uncertainties and fears and anxieties about world, where the world is heading. You know, you try to fix one problem, keep people safe from disease, and you end up with another problem that kids don't go to school and so they get behind in their education. Uh, you, you know, you try to you try to fix one problem, protect your elderly, and then you make another problem. The elderly are alone. And so you have all of these things that the, in the world. You try to solve one problem and you create more problems from it. And then in the Christian world, we have this little cliche that we like to say, just have faith. And so you turn on the Christian radio. We have Christian radio here in Fort Wayne and everywhere in America. It's, we don't have that in Thailand. So it's a little bit of a culture shock having Christian radio here because of the I don't know, just beyond lack of depth in it that you hear. But there's a lot of just cliches, have faith, have hope, but not really a discussion of what that means. And so today I want us to look at um, the context of scripture uh, for this idea of having faith, authentic faith. And it's interesting because uh, the, this came to my mind, this particular passage came to my mind in the context of Jesus beginning his ministry. So thinking back Years ago, when Angie and I started our ministry and we were uh, getting going in the U.S. first and then we went to Thailand and seeing how that journey happened for us. Well, Jesus was in, in his season of being here on earth. 
uh, he started his official ministry in Galilee, uh, where, where he proclaimed um, who he was and what he was doing. But in his hometown of Nazareth, there was a kind of a weird start. And it's in the context kind of like a church gathering. So it kind of fits where we are today. Jesus went into the synagogue and he was the chosen person to read the scripture for the day. And somehow between that and the end of the service, they were ready to throw him off a cliff. So he said something pretty radical and pretty offending, and it was about faith. And so this, that story was that Jesus got up and read a passage from Isaiah that referred specifically to him. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to come. And then he said what, the, what Isaiah said the Messiah was going to do. And he read it. He didn't read the whole passage in, in Isaiah. He just read the parts that specifically related to him. And then he came back into the crowd like you would. And then he made a little commentary. He said, today, this has been fulfilled in your in your eyes. Now, here's a guy who grew up in the town. They know who he is. He's a carpenter's son. He's a poor guy. He doesn't he's not impressive. He's not the ruler of the synagogue. He's not anybody with status. And he's claiming to be the Messiah. Now, he had already done some miracles in other places that they had heard about. And so Jesus knew that in their heart, they were saying, well, prove it to us. Prove that you're really the Messiah here, too. And he said, well, I'm not going to do that. And then he gave the story, told the, referred to the story that we're going to look at today. He said, during the time of Elijah, and when they hear Elijah, they're thinking, this is the great man of God, the Mount Carmel moment where he went up there and defied Baal. The fire came down from heaven. Everybody knew that Yahweh was God. That's the part of, of Elijah they think about, or the part where he went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Okay, but he didn't refer to that. He said at that during Elijah's time, Elijah was not sent anywhere. In Israel, except he was sent to the home of a widow in Zarephath. And then he went to the next story about in Elisha's time, the next one. He didn't heal anyone in Israel from leprosy, only Naaman, the Syrian. And so they people of Israel knew what Jesus was saying. He's saying God doesn't always work the way you think he's going to work. It's a based. It's not based upon where you're born and how well you're connected to me by birth or by town. It's about your faith. And they got really angry at him for that, not only claiming to be the Messiah, but snubbing them also and telling them that God might bypass you if you don't have enough faith to believe in me. And so then they were ready to throw him off the cliff. Of course, that didn't work um, because Jesus wasn't ready to die yet. But I thought when I looked at that, I thought, let's look at that story and find out what authentic faith is, because if there's any time that we need to have true faith in God, it's it's now Uh, because the, the whole world is in turmoil in different kinds of turmoil and our personal lives could be in turmoil, but also the society's in turmoil. The global world economy is in turmoil. The political situation is in turmoil. And if we just talk about having faith and we don't really know what true faith is, we can be putting our, our trust and putting our life focus in something that will not be helpful for us. It's, it's like a shifting sands. And so this story in, uh, First Kings chapter 17, verses 8 to 24, there are two people of faith, of great faith in this story that I want us to look at. There is a bulletin insert. If you'd like to take notes, uh, you can. If you don't, that's fine. I'm going to read this in the ESV. First Kings chapter 17, verses 8 to 24. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, And bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, 
I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. <clears throat> and she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. This is a story I grew up on in Sunday school. And I heard it so many times. And the focus was always on the flour and the oil. But today we're going to move to, to focus more upon the transformation in the lives of the people that are in this story. Now, in we, when we think about faith, the Bible says what faith is. Faith is believing in what you cannot see, confidence in what you cannot see, what you cannot prove. And you can read more about that in Hebrews chapter 11, which I'm not talking about today. But that defines faith and gives some great examples of faith through the Bible, Old Testament's history. There's also many other passages that teach us about faith. But in this particular story, let's see what we can glean from faith from here. Now, the background is before this happened, Elijah had already heard the word of the Lord and that he was supposed to go to Ahab and Ahab was a king and his wife Jezebel was from Sidon, which is mentioned here. And she was a worshiper of the God Baal, which was a fertility God who brought the rain and brought the prosperity. And she had come down to Israel and Ahab had converted to her religion before that. Israel had already been following other gods, but this was when they embraced the God of the Sidon and Tyre uh, people groups, which is a God of Baal. And as a result of that, uh, God told Elijah to go to Ahab and tell him it's not going to rain for over three years as proof, basically, that your God Baal cannot provide for you. And at the end of three years, I'll come back and see you again. Well, Ahab was not pleased with that. And so Elijah went on the run. God told him to go hide by a, a, a creek, basically. So he sat there by the creek. There was a little bit of water and because, you know, it's the beginning of the drought <laughs> and there was water and then food was delivered to him by ravens. And this food that was delivered was uh, leftovers from probably Ahab's household. And but it still came from, you know scavenger birds like who wants to get their food from that and uh, there they are and he whatever they bring that's what elijah gets to eat and it's a clear case of god directly providing for elijah because there's no other way that those ravens would bring him food if you've seen crows and you've seen birds of prey they don't like to share 
So they're not normally, hey, have some of my food. So this was a clear uh, provision of God. But then the brook dried up. And so uh, Elijah and God knew that there was a new solution that needed to happen. So this is where the context of this story. Now, who knows what Elijah thought was going to be the next step, but I don't think he thought this was going to be. So first thing that we see is that the faith is the proper response. So faith is a response to something, not something that I generate. So in other words, I don't, um, when we say it would be a person of faith, it's not something that I build in myself from scratch. Faith is a response to something that I receive from God. And what did Elijah receive from God? The first thing that we see is faith is the proper response to God's revelation. Okay, so revelation is just truth. Now, Elijah had already received some revelation before this story. When he heard from God, there's not going to be rain for three years. He heard that. He trusted it. What would have happened if Elijah had gone to Ahab and said there's no rain for three years and then the next day it rained? He would have looked like an idiot, right? And so that was took some faith to believe that revelation that he heard from God. In this story, the revelation is that there's a widow that I have commanded to feed you in Sidon. Now, is people from Israel did not like to go outside of Israel to get their provision. Sidon was the foreigner land. It's and it's a place where Jezebel was from. So if she had power in Israel, imagine how much power she had in Sidon. And so it wouldn't be the place Elijah probably would have chosen. But God said he had commanded a widow to feed him there. And so instead of ravens, it's the widow. And Elijah had to believe that revelation. In our case, we have the word of God, the Bible that has been passed down to us. And we have to believe the truth that's in that scripture, the revelation that's there in order to have the proper response to faith. You can read the Bible. You can see the truth that's presented and you cannot believe it. If you don't believe it, you're not having faith in the word of the Lord. Now, should you have faith in the, everybody's word? That's what we'll talk about a little bit later. But in this case, faith is the proper response to God's revelation. Uh, so when we see that, it's like uh, sometimes God says things that don't make sense, that we don't understand, that don't match the reality that we have constructed for ourselves. But yet, if we know it's from God, faith's response is to believe it. OK, the second thing that we see here is that faith is also the proper response to God's command. So it wasn't just that Elijah was told there's a widow that I've commanded to feed you there. But he said, arise, go to Zarephath. Now, I want you to think about that. It's not as easy as you might think. First of all, there's no water. Elijah used up his water and the ravens aren't going to give him food anymore. He has to travel a long way across the wilderness and the and empty towns where everybody's scavenging for food to get there. And then when he gets there, he's going in enemy territory. And then the question, he didn't even get a name. It's like some widow there is going to have commanded her to feed you. And how does he know who that is? So this command of God was something that took some risk, right? Something that took some ability to trust. But because he knew it was a command of God, faith's response, because he was a man of faith, was I will do it. So he, the proper response to God's commands, which is obedience, not arguing. Do you see an argument here? Now, Elijah did argue with God later in his life, but not here. And at the time that Elijah argued with God, he was lacking faith at that time. And God had to restore his faith to him. But in this particular case, he got up, it says. And so he so he arose and went. So the question for us today is, if God has commanded us to do things and there are things in the scripture that are there for us to do already, we don't have to wait. Hey, God, what am I supposed to do? Love your neighbor. 
Share the gospel, make disciples, forgive others. The things that are in scripture, those commands are there. And sometimes they don't make sense in the, in the paradigm of life that we have constructed for ourselves and the world lives according to. And, but if we know it's from God, if we have authentic faith, we will obey that command. Now, when it comes to the widow, she did not know God because you notice in the story, she says, as the Lord, your God lives at the beginning of the story. When she talks, it's like an oath. When he asked her for some food, she was like, I'm telling you the truth. It's her way of, and they would always say, as the Lord God lives, that's what they would say. But she said, as the Lord, your God lives. And that means that she knew that Elijah was from Israel. Yahweh was his God. It wasn't her God yet. And so she didn't have faith in the revelation of God. And she did not have faith in the, and she didn't have faith to obey God on her own. But what did she receive? She received a promise. So when Elijah told her after she said, I don't have any food, my plan is to, as to make a meal for me and my son after which we will die because we're done. Elijah said, go ahead with your plan. Your plan's good. But before you do that, make some food for me. Now, if she did that, then that would entail not having enough for her and her son. So there was a bit of a risk there, but she was going to die anyway. But what was said was for your efforts, there's a promise. God has said the God of Israel has said, and again, it's not your God. It's the God of Israel has said that the flour and the oil will not run out. That was a promise. Now, she had faith in that promise. If she did not have faith in that promise, she would not have done that. Why would she bother to feed this strange looking guy? And if you don't think Elijah was strange, remember that John the Baptist was compared to him. And John the Baptist wore camel skin and ate locust and wild honey. He was a crazy man. And he was compared to Elijah. So that's the kind of person that walked into town. Not like, you know, a guy in a suit like up here on the front row, Pastor Kent here. Not like that at all. It was definitely something was you come in. It's like, what a crazy looking character. Why would I invite him in? Why would I give him food? But she believed the promise. So faith is a proper response to God's revelation, his commands and his promises, which is that even though I would not have thought of those things, even though I would not have planned those things, when I hear that, that from God, my response is yes. Yes, I believe. Yes, I obey. Yes, I hold on to and trust that promise. Now, we are much more blessed than that woman in Zarephath because we have the scripture that we can carry with us all the time that has revelation, commands and promises there all the time for us to read and for us to you know, percolate our lives in and decide if we're going to follow and say yes to that or not. <clears throat> but acting in faith requires sacrifice. Okay. It's not whenever God calls us to act in faith it is not going to be easy. Easy is responding to something that's inside of my control. Easy is responding to something that I can be confident that my efforts can make something happen. Now, there's very few things that really you can say in your life that you can be sure that you can make something happen. But we think we can. But actually, life often tells us, you know, through our hardships of life that we cannot even control the things that we think we can. But having faith requires us to sacrifice. And there's many things. But in this story, the first thing that I want us to notice is we have to sacrifice our comfort. In order to have faith, we have to sacrifice our comfort. This is both Elijah and the widow. Elijah was un, would have been uncomfortable going to a foreign land to get his food. He would have been uncomfortable staying in the house of a widow. It, and, he, and he would have uh, 
been uncomfortable, even, even, you know, seeing how poor she was asking for bread. That's uncomfortable knowing that she has nothing and you have to go and ask for something that would make you feel uncomfortable for the widow. Elijah's presence in her house was uncomfortable. I'm sure you can see that in the second part where she, when her son dies, she immediately goes to this accusation. You holy man, what have you done? Brought God's judgment on my house. It shows that she was uncomfortable having such a man of God with her because she knew she was a sinner. And so it was uncomfortable. And it was also that she had to risk that last meal. You know, when you have nothing left and I and you see this with poor people around the world, when you have nothing left, the one thing you have left in your hand brings you a lot of comfort. This idea that she could make that one meal for her son and for her and that they could die with a sense of of peace together was something that she was committed to doing. She was out getting sticks in front of the city gate. That means there's hardly any sticks around either. There's everything's dying. And she was out there gathering sticks so she could do that with her son. If uh, she, she didn't, if what Elijah said wasn't true, she would have. And he ate the food and there was no more. She would have still died, but she would have lost out on that one thing she was holding on to as her final comfort. So she had to she had to sacrifice it. The second thing we have to sacrifice is security. <clears throat> now, imagine if you were trying to run away from Ahab and Jezebel. Which direction would you go? Would you go to the hometown of Jezebel? No, you go the other direction, like over to Egypt or towards what's currently Jordan. But Elijah was from Gilead, which is on the other side of the Jordan. Uh, it would not he would not go to the to the, you know, the, the lair of the viper where she's got informants everywhere. And she's part of the royal family of Sidon. And so the worship of Baal is prevalent there. That's that's a risk. And then he was hiding. Now he has to travel across Israel. He's a recognizable figure. Ahab had people looking for him everywhere, it says in the scripture. So Elijah had to risk that journey for the widow. She she had to risk also, because if Elijah was uh, telling the truth, And she did live, you know, she had faith that she would live on, but it wasn't going to be easy because she also knew that Elijah was a wanted man. She also knew that he was from the, he worshiped the God Yahweh. She said that clearly here. And that wasn't who her country worshiped and that wasn't who Ahab worshiped. And so by her hosting him, she was putting herself at risk. And also, um, she was clearly scared of Elijah's God. She did not have a trusting relationship with Yahweh. And so having him in the house, Because they believed in territory, right? So in her view, Israel was Yahweh's territory. So she was outside of it. And even in today, many animistic cultures believe that the the God's confined to this geography. She was outside of Yahweh's wrath until Elijah came into the house. And now whatever wrath Elijah had, Elijah's God had for sin is now coming to her house. And so that was a risk of security for her. Okay, the third thing that had to be risked there is reputation. Because there's a couple of ways that that you could lose your reputation. Imagine that someone found Elijah there in Zarephath at the widow's house. What would people think about him? Oh, he ran away. He was scared of Ahab and Jezebel, so he ran away. Elijah was not a runaway kind of guy for most of his life. He was in one stage when he really got discouraged later, but he wasn't here. That's not why he went. He went because of the command of the Lord, but it could be perceived that he ran away. If they found him there. The other thing is for reputation. It's like this lady was not married. She was a widow. So she had no husband in here, but she still has a son who's young enough to be in her house and not a provider. So that means he's a teenager at most. 
And so she's a widow. She has people in her household. And there's a Elijah who's a single guy. And we pictures show him as old, but he can't be very old in this story because many things happen after this in his in his life. So he might be middle aged or younger. And he's staying in a woman's house and in a country that has different moral standards. And it could be seen as something that was compromising if people didn't get it. They could have been talking and gossiping. Who's that guy that's staying with that woman over there? So there was a risk of reputation. And then the last thing acting in faith requires sacrificing plans. Okay. The woman had plans that she had to change. We don't know what Elijah's plans were, but whatever it was probably wasn't this. Uh, and we see this again and again in scripture that when God tells us to do something, often it is not in alignment with our plans. That's how it is for me. Like right now, us being here in America is necessary for Angie's health, but it is not something I was planning on. I'm, I'm, I enjoy being in Thailand, working from Thailand to Asia more than I enjoy doing it from here. Not only is it more convenient, but that when I'm there, I can be with people every day. And here I have to be with people on Zoom every day. It's not the same. You guys know what Zoom is like compared to real life. It's not the same. So it wasn't my plan, but we have to give up our plans when we when we walk in obedience and in faith. Now, this is we talked about the response and we talked about the sacrifice in order for us to be able to respond like that. And in order for us to be willing to sacrifice like that, we have to have understand that acting in faith involves a change in perspective. Um, In order for you to act in faith, you have to see things differently than you did before. Before you saw things one way, then you encountered God, his revelation, his commands, his promises, his presence. And now you see things a different way. And there are various areas that that's true. But in this story, there's three that I can see very clearly. One is that there's a change in perspective in the authority of God. Now, that was not the case for Elijah. He already understood the authority of God. Okay, but in the case of the widow, her belief would have been. That Yahweh, Elijah's God, had authority over the people of Israel and over the prophets of Israel, but not over her. So that's why she referred to it, the Lord, your God. And the, the, the famine that was going on did extend to her area, obviously. So that was probably baffling to them. How did Yahweh, if that was true, but how did he cause the famine? But just remember, not everybody knew that this famine was caused by Yahweh. That's what Elijah told Ahab, but it's not like Ahab went and announced it to everybody, sent out an email to everybody saying, hey, this is what Elijah said. Most people would have seen it as a failure of themselves to appease Baal. In other words, their life was not good. Their life, their sacrifices, what they're doing are not making Baal happy. So Baal is withholding the rain. That's how she would have seen it. Elijah comes with this whole new approach. It's all about God. God can produce oil and flour from nothing. And he doesn't even need you to worship him to do it. All he needs for you to do is to follow this one simple command that I give you. And through the process, you've seen a change of her perspective on authority. Then later on, when her son dies, she complains, what have you against me? O man of God, that you've brought death to my son. And she didn't blame Elijah because of what he did. She blamed herself that she was a sinful person. And so her bad karma had come to roost because Elijah brought God's presence in her home. Wouldn't it have been better, Elijah, if you never brought Yahweh in here? Again, see the territorial idea, like if Elijah wasn't there, God wouldn't have any authority over her house and therefore her son would be okay. She had a small picture of God. But then after her son was raised from the dead, do you see what she said? Now I know you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. 
Now, that's a very interesting statement because it wasn't the part about the flour and the oil that was, she was believing as truth. She had seen that every day. He was telling her other things about Yahweh, about God every day. And she was hearing it and she wasn't believing it as truth. She was hearing it and still not quite sure. Hearing it and still not confident that he was telling the truth. But after she had a new perspective of God's ability to raise someone from the dead, which she had never seen before, then she remembered the things that Elijah had said and said that God is true and the words that you've spoken about him are true and I believe it to be true, which is the whole purpose of Elijah going to her house, really, isn't it? Because God is in the business of transforming lives. The second thing that we see is acting in faith involves a change in perspective related to the superiority of God's ways. Okay, so again, that goes back with the plans. We may have plans and then God has different plans. Uh, most of us are pretty attached to our plans and we think that what we believe and what we want to do is the best. But in, in a person who has authentic faith, they're going to be, it's going to be a journey of transformation where we gradually, day by day, week by week, we start to understand the superiority of God's will. And we saw that with Elijah being willing to trust that God's plan to send him to Sidon was a good plan, even though it probably had many reasons not to accept it. And we also see that process in the woman's life because her plan was to enjoy one meal and die. And God's plan was for her to be reliant upon him daily. Did you notice that the provision was not a big bag of flour and a big thing of oil? It was daily reliance upon Yahweh, both Elijah and the widow and her son and whoever else was in the household had to rely upon God daily. And that was the way that God had in mind for them, but would be way different than what they would have thought. A superiority of ways, because in the end, her life was transformed through that reliance upon God. And the third thing is, it revolves a change in perspective related to the definition of blessing. Because I know a lot of us talk about, I want the blessings of God. I want my wife to be healed. You have probably prayer requests that you're asking for. Lord, I want to see your blessing in finances and relationships and health in changes in government and whatever it is that you're passionate about and you're trying to see and you're waiting to see those things in order to feel that you're being blessed by God. So we have this list of blessings we're expecting and there's a lot of Christian theology that says name those and claim them and you can have them. And the problem with that is not the name it and claim it part. The problem is that the things that we want are small, pitiful little things. And what God has, that's great and wonderful for us. We're not asking for and not looking for. And so God in his grace doesn't give us the little things sometimes so that we keep asking until we see the big ones. And in this particular case, at the beginning of the story, the focus was food and the focus was water. By the end of the story, the focus was God and his revelation and truth going out to Sidon, to a new household in Zarephath. And Elijah was provided for, but the definition of blessing wasn't that everything was going to be great. The definition of blessing was that God was going to use Elijah and use the woman as part of his plan to bring spiritual renewal to that household. In the end, if you go forward in the story and you see the Mount Carmel experience where the fire comes down and burns the, the sacrifice, you would think that would bring a big change in Israel. It didn't bring any change in Israel. A, a 400 prophets of Baal were killed, but Ahab and Jezebel did not change. The country did not change for a long time after that. So blessing might have been, oh, God's going to fix my country and make it back to, uh, to be a righteous country again. That was not the plan. What was the plan for Elijah? Just the short version, to train up Elisha. 
Okay, look in scripture, look after this and you can see what it is. It's about multiplying to the next generation. That was the great blessing. Finding Elisha was the great blessing for Elijah. But this woman of Zarephath was also a great blessing for Elijah. It was fruit in the midst of famine. But you need to have a different definition of blessing in order to be looking for that and to appreciate it. All right. Now, as we come to a, the end of that, I just want us to think about what we get from it. What, what do we receive? This is on the back of your notes. If we act in faith, we can experience some things that we would never experience before. And I've already talked about these, so I'm just going to summarize them here. Inexplicable provision. So God does provide for us. But the kind of provision God likes to provide for us is the kind that we can't explain and we can't take credit for. In this particular story, the oil and the flour that continue day by day, no one could take credit for that except God. It's never happened before, and it didn't happen after the rains came either. It wasn't an ongoing thing. You're not going to find that happen in your kitchen, I'm sure, because you can go get oil yourself. But in this particular case, it was inexplicable or unexplainable. The second one was unexpected community. Elijah and the woman of Zarephath would have never run into each other. They would have never found each other. But yet God wanted these two people that were that he had a plan of of a faith journey for them to come together for a season so they could help each other to grow. She was helping Elijah by giving him opportunity to minister, to speak the truth in a time when no one else in Israel wanted to hear. And he was benefiting her by bringing the truth to her home and by providing for her needs through the power of God. So it was an unexpected community. And I, I, I'm assuming here in your church that you've met people through your ministries and through your life together at church you would have never expected to meet except by God's provision as you've acted in faith. The next thing that we see is that we, as we, as we experience, uh, sorry, we experience miracles. That was the first one, which is provision and community. And the third one is new life. So the new life is not only physical life, but spiritual life in this story. The son was raised from the dead, but Elijah's life was physically saved. The widow's and her, as life was physically saved, but they also she also experienced new spiritual life as she embraced the God of Elijah. And then, interestingly, the last one is undeserved significance. Jesus quoted this, talked about her in his time and had it recorded in scripture. So we're still talking about it today. This this widow, this poor widow in the middle of nowhere Thousands of years ago, we're still telling her story of faith today. That is the significance of her life that even we don't know what impact she had in her community at her time. But we know that her story has impacted people in every nation of the world now through the scriptures. And that significance did not come because she deserved it. It's a miracle that happened because of God's grace. And what was her role? Just acting in faith. So the fruit of her faith was that. So we have provision, community, life and significance from this story alone. That is fruit from authentic faith. I want us to uh, just look at these quotes that were from uh, different people that I found and just think about them. And then I hope that you will reflect upon this topic on your own at home. Uh, Go and look at other scriptures about faith and then uh, and then ask yourself, uh, what am I putting my faith in? First, uh, Martin Luther said, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. Uh, This is uh, sorry, I don't always use outline, so I forget. So living by faith is walking with God. Okay, that's the topic. Okay, but under that is the first quote. Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. So faith is not something I generate to solve my problems or faith is something that that shows that I'm a great person of of God or I'm a great have a great value or I'm a great uh, um, God. I'm important in the kingdom of God. 
Faith is just a confidence in God's grace, which is what I hold on to in my life. God's grace is given to me unmerited, a favor from him. If I hold on to that in confidence and I, and I walk in that, walk with God in that confidence, that is faith. I like that quote by Martin Luther. The second quote is uh, from John Piper. Our obedience, and again, obedience was one of the responses to faith we talked about. Our obedience is God's pleasure when it proves that God is our treasure. So obedience, God is not pleased with obedience just for obedience sake, because the Pharisees obeyed the law and Jesus wasn't pleased. But God is pleased with obedience when it shows that he is our treasure. And in the case of Elijah, Elijah showed through his life decisions and his life trajectory that God was his treasure. He gave up everything for God. And the woman learned through the process of this story that God is the treasure. So faith is uh, causes obedience, but obedience uh, based on faith is God's pleasure when it proves that God is our treasure. So I, I enjoyed that quote, too. The third quote, God does not give us everything we want, but he does fulfill his promises, leading us along the best and straightest paths to himself. Now, you could take that quote from Bonhoeffer and change it to the last word from himself to success and prosperity, and you would have a false gospel and the false faith. God does not give us everything we want, but he fulfills his promises and he's going to lead you on the path to prosperity. So just persevere. No, the, the path of faith leads us to himself. And we can see that it was all about being in communion with God. Elijah spent his life in communion with God. This woman learned that the God Yahweh that she was so afraid of cared about her and wanted to bring new life to her family, not punishment to her family. And so she she was able to be led to God through her journey of faith. And then Jesus himself said, did I did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So that's what I want us to think about. We can put our faith in many different things. You could put your faith in politics. You could put your faith in your ability to provide for your family. You can put your faith in your skills. You can put your faith in other people. There's so many different things we could put our faith in. And you could be sincere about those aspects of faith. But the only way that you're going to see the glory of God in your life, and I'm going to see the glory of God in my life, is for us to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And not just to accept salvation, but also to walk in that faith. So I want to encourage you today. We just had to go through this very quickly. Read this story again. Reflect upon the faith that was displayed and learned in the life of Elijah, learned and displayed in the life of the widow of Zarephath. Reflect upon why Jesus brought these two as an example for the people of Nazareth to think about. And then ask yourself, do I want to see the glory of God in my life in 2023? If you want to see the glory of God revealed through your life, then you're going to need to embrace authentic faith. And though we talk about faith a lot, I know in my life, that I am just learning what it means to walk in this journey of faith, even after serving God for many years. So I want to, I want to encourage you, no matter how long you've been with Christ, with God, and, and to, to realize we still have a ways to grow and to embrace. And then if you have that kind of faith, then it doesn't matter what you see because you know who you're looking for, which is God to be revealed, his glory to be revealed. So let me pray a blessing over you. Thank you, Lord, for the people of Northside Missionary Church. We thank you so much for this passage about Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. We pray that your spirit will use your word to encourage and to also challenge us today so that we can 
become people of true, authentic faith day by day, moment by moment, until you return. We thank you that you have already uh, provided us with the revelation, with the promises, with the commands that we need to respond to in order to exercise our faith. So please give us all courage to do that. And please give us the patience to wait and see how you will reveal your glory uh, through your will as we exercise faith in you. Thank you, Lord, for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.